Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dalapena, and today we go through part two of the blockbuster interview with former Nepal captain Paras Kadka. Now, where we left off at the end of the last episode in part one, Paris was just talking about the heartbreak of the team's disappointing performance at World Cricket League Division 4 in Bologna, Italy in August 2010 and the soul-searching that took place in the immediate aftermath of Nepal's failure to gain promotion out of that event. But there was a great silver lining, the eventual hiring of Puburu Desanayaka. And so that's where we pick up part two of the interview as Paris goes into how Puburu changed Nepal's fortunes. That started immediately against USA in the next World Cricket League event that the two sides came up against each other in September 2012 in Malaysia. And we continue on from there, going through Paris's illustrious career onward from that, the 2014 T20 World Cup in Bangladesh, the rise to ODI status through World Cricket League Division 2 in Namibia, one of the most famous tournaments in the history of the World Cricket League, where Nepal turned in heart-stopping finish after heart-stopping finish, literally up until the final ball of round-robin play against Canada. And then Paris talks about the ending to his career in ODI cricket against the USA, bringing his illustrious career full circle from the start of the USA rivalry in 2008 until his final match in Nepal Colors against USA on home soil in Kathmandu. So we cover all of that and more in this week's part two of the interview with Paras Kodka. But before we get to that, I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is presented by Dream Cricket. Dream Cricket Academy offers private and group lessons for children of all ages. Dream Cricket Academy players have been selected to represent USA at under-19 level over the years, including Raymond Ramerton, Harish Eshwarya, and 2021 USA Under-19 National Championship Tournament MVP Sai Mukamala. Dream Cricket Academy coaching staff is led by Earl Daly, himself a former USA national team player and chief selector, as well as being the coach of that USA Under-19 National Champion Mid-Atlantic squad from earlier in 2021. Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also sponsored by Moosa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. And now, part two of the interview with Paris Kotka. So from August 2010, when they lost to Tanzania and lost to USA and Italy, wasn't until September 2012. So it was just a little over two years before the next Division Four tournament comes around. Pubudu Dasanayaka is now in charge. You went from a team that really struggled, especially on the batting side, to get consistent totals and always vulnerable to a, a shock loss like you had to Tanzania and, and then the loss to USA to going through that tournament undefeated. An incredible run, 6-0, and undefeated. You beat USA twice. I think this match in Malaysia, this group stage match, this is perhaps my favorite match of the whole rivalry that you were part of because it was such a hard-fought match. It was a very yeah. high-skill-level match contested by both sides. What stood out to me was the improvement in the batting. Nepal's batting consistently had struggled over the years to get big scores. And in this match, very famous hundreds scored by Subhash Kakarel, 115 opening the batting. You had a 111 run partnership between him and Anil Mandel had to retire, actually hurt at one point. And that partnership was con- continued on by Gian Andromala. But he scores 46. You scored 41 off 34 balls before your run out, trying to up the scoring rate as the innings was going along because you, you guys were just cruising. It was incredible to see how Nepal batting magically had transformed from just one tournament to the next in, in that two years of space that Pubadu came in. And then Sushanad Karni again, 84 in the chase. He was the wicket that, that turned the match fully in favor of Nepal. An incredible catch for people who were not there and this game was not televised. He was trying to uppercut over backward point and Binod Das took the, an incredible leaping one-handed catch on the ring 
and the celebrations that you guys had on the field, that said it all, that that was the match. So Nepal wins that game. They scored 258. They win by 32 runs. Take me through that experience. A, just the match experience, but B, reflecting on the impact that Pubudu Desanayaka had in a very quick time period to get Nepal performing to a, a much higher level than they had been previously. When Pubudu came in, it changed everything uh, around Nepali cricket. Why? Because we were always very hardworking cricketers. We always wanted to achieve so many things. But Pubudu came and said, if you guys are to make it to a World Cup or become a top-level ODI country, what you need to do is do these things. He put up a drawing board saying, one, two, three, four, five, six points. If everybody does this, we'll make it through. And because we were so determined, we were so focused with the fact that we wanted to achieve, we kept pushing ourselves. Those matches uh, in 2012, I think I would like to go even before that. Before Pubudu came, we never really had throwdown sessions as a batting unit. It was just about going in the nets, batting for 10, 20 minutes, and that was about it. So Pubudu came and said, there's more to do than just batting in nets. It is, it's about doing throwdowns. So you had tennis balls or machine balls or the bowling machine, and you had two players throwing balls at each other, practicing a particular shot for hours and hours, getting those repetitive modes on. So that eventually led to us as a batting group getting exposure to more number of balls. Why? Because we weren't playing active cricket matches. So that whatever practice that we had on our cricket ground was the direct result of what we wanted to achieve in the real competitive matches. One of the highlighted factor or if I can say a turning point that I felt myself under Pubudu when we were training was, I remember him uh, telling, okay, I, I was telling, oh, just practice this sweep, uh, you know, towards the leg side. So I remember somebody throwing tennis balls, a green tennis ball at me, just lobbing at me. And then I was doing that for what, two days, maybe I'd hit around 100, 200, 300, 500, 600 balls. And on the third day, uh, I went into nets and I had Rahul, I think Rahul was the one, left arm spinner, he picks up the a white ball, he throws the ball at me and while I'm batting, when, when the ball left his hand, it was white. But when I made the impact, all I saw was that tennis ball when I hit that ball. So that day made me realize that, okay, we, there's something that has sparked where if you practice something for a particular time period, it means that your mind prepares yourself to perform or excel. So that repeated hitting as a tennis ball meant that even that white ball seemed as if you were hitting a tennis ball. And that day I realized, okay, now if we keep doing this as a batting unit, all the batters, we had this conversation and we got and said that we need to keep doing throwdowns. And uh, we later on became a much better batting unit. And 2012, that whole tournament, if you say our match against US was one of the one of the most fought, fought off matches, I'd probably say that was some of the best cricket that we played as a whole unit. For the whole team to play the kind of cricket that we played all throughout was exceptional. It also meant that because we had played T20 qualifiers with Pubudu, uh, we're coming from a good successful run where we qualified for the World Cup qualifiers and we had done well, so that gave us the confidence that now going into Division 4 in Malaysia, we were, we knew the conditions, having played under-19 level, senior level cricket, uh, we knew the conditions and we now had a video analyst for the very first time. For the very first time, we could watch ourselves bat, which was never, ever practiced before. And that now made us believe that, you know, that shot that you could play had a certain technical side to it, which you could improve. And as a cricketer, you then go next day, practice that shot better or try to execute it better than you had this team meeting where we, we looked at videos of opponents, which we had never done. And all of a sudden we're watching, okay, he's a left-hander. So maybe using an off spinner because his record says he's gone out to off spinner, maybe five times out of 10 or a right-hand batsman who's struggling against spin. And you knew that US had this fast bowlers and maybe we would be able to, you know, pull them with our spinners. So all these plans and strategies were put in place. Before it was just a matter of going out there, let things take its own course and reacting to things. Now we were planned. We were a much prepared team. We're going into a cricket match. We knew that, okay, if Sushil Nathkarni comes, we had a couple of off spinners ready for him. If Steve Masaya comes, we had our left arm spinners. Or 
let's say if there's a big hitter uh, with maybe ball cutters or seamers uh, against him and we place in the best fielders at the boundary position where the balls would travel to at latter stages of the career. So these were all the technical side of things that Pubudu Dasanayake brought in the cricketing uh, side of our cricketing system and that eventually led to a lot of memorable victories and I probably say if not for Pubudu Dasanayake, we wouldn't have become who we are today. He, his whole knowledge and understanding of international cricket, because he had helped Canada qualify for the 2011 World Cup. So him coming from Canada and helping an associate team make it to a World Cup meant that for us, we had this belief that if Canada could make it, we could make it as well. And their whole team spirit and Pubudu brought in this victory song uh, theme where after every victory, even to this day, there's a song that we play with the team huddle, so there's a bit of culture that we are developing through him where everybody got together, everybody was now being looked after as a captain, myself, as coaches, as Pubudu and uh, the vice captain. We made sure that we protected the players where it was team ethics. You play according to your role. We made it very specific. If anybody played to their role and they succeeded or failed, we'd back them up. But the team role had to come first and those team values we put in everybody's head and everybody chipped in. There was a lot of criticism with some of the players which I can generally understand because that's part of any sport that you play. Uh, players will get criticised. But at that point of time, we had a very strong hold with the players and the coaches where we combined together to produce great results. You had a great result in Malaysia. Like I said, you go undefeated. You beat USA twice in that match and then again in the final. And Basant Regni takes five wickets both times. You guys go undefeated and he was player of the tournament. Then fast forward to 2013 in Bermuda, April 2013. Nepal plays USA on the opening day of the tournament and gets smashed, specifically by Stephen Taylor. An incredible uh, mark, 162 off 102 balls, 12 fours and 12 sixes. It was on a small ground. Okay, this, the ground in Bermuda was quite small, but you still have to clear it, the ropes. You still have to hit the ball. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, Steve played amazingly well, but we're playing on a football ground, basically. <laughs> it was, yes, the boundaries were short, to, to put it modestly. Yeah, yeah. And But USA scores 366. Nepal was really struggling at one stage, 105 for six. You, you wound up being bowled out for 272. The thing I remember most about this game, aside from Steven Taylor's brutal hitting, was when I talked to you to do a post-match interview at the end of play, I don't think I can remember too many occasions where the losing captain or the losing player reacted like it was no big deal. One game, one loss, that's all right. We still got four games to go. In the context of what later came, you guys go and get promoted. You win You win uh, the tournament, you win the final. USA, having beaten you guys today, they were celebrating like they just won the tournament. And like they didn't have to go through much hard work the rest of the way. And yet you guys, despite having lost heavily, you didn't really feel like observing you and, and Pubudu Desanayaka that, that it really, the loss was stung that much and that there was a much, much larger picture at play. In, in particular, the, the things that, that stood out to me about the game, despite being 105 for six, chasing a target of 367, you and Sharad Vasakar, you scored 73, you top scored, and uh, Sharad Vasakar scored 72 off 61 balls, four fours and six sixes. You had nine fours and two sixes. And it was very methodical. To me, again, this was this match was more evidence of Pubudu Desanayake changing the mentality and putting in very strategic objectives where when you were five wickets down, both you and Sherrod did not panic. And you, it was clear to me on the boundary watching, you recognized there was a much larger picture at play with the net run rate and trying to, to mitigate the damage. And the fact that you got to 272 in that game and batted up until the final ball. Shaki Gauchan was, was dismissed with one ball to go to end the match to me for 39. So again, he, him coming in at number nine, scoring 39 off 47. You guys, instead of just throwing in the towel, which I have seen teams do, they get to spawn in, in, in certain World Cricket League events. And arguably that cost Canada ODI status in 2019, where they suffered from some very, very heavy defeats rather than just batting out the 50 overs and keeping the net run rate tiebreaker in mind. Once they got it five, six, seven wickets down, they just basically gave up and they they cost themselves humongously in that regard. That didn't happen with you. You lose again the next day to Uganda and then yet you come back. USA had won their first two games. They smashed Nepal. USA then goes out the next day and, and wins again. 
And yet, going from 2-0, and they failed to get promoted. You guys were 0-2, and you battled back after that USA game into the, the final uh, match of group play, where you, you still had a humongous net run rate deficit, but you bowl out Italy for 127, or hold them to 127 for 9, and then you chase a target of, of 128 in 14.5 overs. So that whole tournament, take us through the start, that match against USA, facing Steven Taylor, batting the way he did, and the mentality of the team coming out of that match that allowed you to bounce back to eventually win the tournament and gain promotion to the World Cup qualifier in New Zealand. I remember winning the toss that day, and we thought that because it was a very small ground, we had no idea that looking at the size of the boundary, we thought it'd be easier chasing. Why? Because the boundaries were so short that we thought that if any target that they would give us, we'd probably be able to chase it down. Uh, because the short boundary meant that we had no idea. So we went and won the toss, put US in. Steve smashed us absolutely because he's hitting everywhere. Uh, everybody chipped in. US made 370 odd runs. And we're like, before that, if I remember, we'd never been hit more than 250 runs ever in our cricketing history. And so for us to get hit for 370 odd mean, meant that maybe the ground was small. That's what we kept telling ourselves. And we went into the second innings trying to get the runs and fell short by 100 odd, 90 odd runs, 270 odd. We all out. Next day, we won the toss again because the other day uh, we had won the toss and put US in. Now we realized that I think we should bat first, get a big score, and then <laughs> put pressure on uh, the other Uganda. But next thing you know, 120 odd runs. And uh, Uganda. Uh, chases it down and we are two losses and we are three matches and basically end of World Cricket League. Why? Because if you lost two games for most teams at that point of time with the stats World Cricket League president, that meant that it was end of the cricketing dreams. Externally, I mean, you might have felt that, you know, we were cool about it, strong about it. Why? Because Popudu had said that everything that happens within us, we, we go out there and always put up a brave facing we give it our best effort and for us because because we had beaten us twice in malaysia before that going to the tournament if it was an even playing cricket ground we believed that we could have beaten them any given day but because of the shorter boundary and their power hitters and with one batter basically scoring 100 70 odd runs. We felt that maybe it was the boundary because some of the shots, maybe to one of our left armers or an off spinner, would have been a catch in one of the bigger boundaries. So that gave us this inner consolation that if it was a bigger ground, we would have probably beaten them. But that doesn't work in cricket because it's it, it was even playing grounds and we had lost two in two days. So there's no returning back. And after that, I remember the Nepalese community, there were around 40, 48 Nepalese, and 30 of them worked in the hotel that we were staying in. This they or they organized a yacht party where that's it. Uh, we thought so. We, all the boys got on a yacht and we're talking to each other that we lost two games. I think again came down to the same old conversations everything's done, we should now do whatever. And I remember some of the boys absolutely hammered themselves, but that was about it. And then we, we, we went along, had dinner, had conversations, came back late. We had a couple of days off then. and. We had the rest did the other day, sorry. So we thought that we just let it out. There's no practice. Both said we'll not practice. And and we had a team meeting the other, just the day before. And we just made sure that because we're playing for Nepal, we're representing your country, we had to make sure that we put up a good performance. By then, we had a good uh, cricket fan following that was growing up on social media. It was two different time zones, Bermuda, Nepal. Like it was day and night, two different times. But we still had a number of people uh, Facebook was getting popular in Nepal. People were really active on social media. So we we uh, were told that in spite of whatever happens for the next three games, let's try and put in that effort. Uh, why? Because as long as you play for your country, all that you can do is put in that effort. And next day we went in, uh, we got a hold of Bermuda. From that day onwards, we knew that we had to increase our run rate. And the only way to do that was get the opponent out early as possible and chase it down as early as possible. So the whole mentality was that we had nothing to lose. From that day onwards, it was just going out there and trying to get the team all out and score as fast as possible. And eventually, uh, when it came down to the last game, when we beat Italy, there was, a, there was another game happening at the other ground between Bermuda and USA. And uh, there was this guy, 
I don't remember his name from Bermuda who smashed like 90 odd runs and Bermuda before that had never ever ever beaten US in a 50 over game if I'm if I'm not wrong so it, it came down to it came down to that uh, situation where it was meant for us uh, we were there at the grounds praying that you know so that Bermuda would beat USA Bermuda absolutely hammered USA chasing on 220 odd runs and next thing you know we this whole news came in that we had now qualified and out of all the odds, uh, that whole belief that Pobudu had instilled in us and that belief that had come in us through our under-19 qualifiers, through tight games that we had played at 2020 uh, matches, uh, meant that uh, we believed in ourselves and eventually uh, things happened for us. A hero for Nepal in that tournament for Bermuda, Christopher Douglas is the player you're referencing. Christopher Douglas... Scored 89 off 75 balls, nine fours and three sixes as Bermuda chased the target of 221 with five wickets and 32 balls to spare. And I don't think Christopher Douglas has ever scored runs for Bermuda before that game and definitely not since that game. That was the one match for Christopher Douglas. And it was an extraordinary game for, for the USA because they won the toss and they chose to bat. And it was one of the worst decisions in U.S. cricket history because it was a very sticky wicket. And... They had been successful outside of that first game against Nepal. They had won a couple games chasing. Uh, they had, they had, sorry, they had beaten Oman chasing. And so they could have chased. Um, but I think it had gotten into their mind psychologically. The match before against Uganda, they had failed chasing. And I, I think it was more of a, an issue of they don't, they didn't want to, they didn't feel as comfortable chasing based on what happened against Uganda. So despite being in a sticky wicket, uh, they batted first, and by the time the lunch break came around, the wicket had flattened out dramatically, and Christopher Douglas comes out, and he's playing uppercuts over third man. He's sweeping. He's, like, reverse sweeping. He's, hooking, he's playing all these ridiculous shots that he's he clearly just doesn't care. He's like, oh, I might as well ride, ride my luck. I'm never going to bat like this again. And USA, the players on the field are, are going out of their minds because they can see a, a spot in New Zealand is slipping out of their hands. And meanwhile – because your match had finished so early, there were some Nepal fans who had come to the ground and they're going bonkers, <laughs> making noise on the sideline. <laughs> it was just an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. Coming off that, you mentioned the T20 World Cup experience. It's going to go away from USA for a little bit. You have that incredible surge of momentum over the final three matches to qualify to go to New Zealand. That was going to be in January for 2014. But just before that, you have the World Cup qualifier in the UAE. You qualify for the World Cup. Gerard Vassaker, the hero in, in the knockout stage match, hitting the winning six to, to clinch the spot in the World Cup itself in Bangladesh. Go into that World Cup, that T20 World Cup. Take us through that experience. You, you record two memorable wins against Afghanistan and Hong Kong, and you almost give Bangladesh a, a really serious fight. What was that whole experience like, being part of the first team from Nepal to, to go to, not just go to, an, a major ICC event at senior level for the first time? But to come away with two wins and almost progress into the main phase of the tournament. Incredible. I would say before going to Bangladesh and coming from Bangladesh, I think we had two different cricket-loving community here. If, if there were like 100 people who watched cricket in Nepal before Bangladesh, we had now 100,000 people now, you know, following Nepal cricket post the World Cup. Why? Because now you had a cricket team that was winning. And now you had the national cricket team live on TV performing the whole qualification process was such that we played tight games and everybody was you know pushing themselves everybody around the national cricket team knew that this whole dream of everybody before us around us uh, was uh, distinctly becoming a reality 2013 uh, when the world cup qualifiers happened before that uh, 2012 when we gone for the 2020 qualifiers we were ranked 15th uh, going into that tournament in 2012. And when the tournament ended and when we beat PNG for the 7th and 8th position, we came 7th. And at that point of time, we had six teams that qualified for the World Cup from the qualifiers. So without absolute no knowledge of what the standards of cricket was at that level, from 15th to having come 7th, we knew that when we came into the other qualifiers, it was just a matter of one position down where we, we had come seventh last time around if we push one more step we it, it would mean that we'd make it to a world cup so that gave us a massive belief a year and a half before that that qualifier made us believe that 
okay, we came seventh. Now, if we push really hard, we could come sixth and be in that top six bracket and make it to a World Cup. And we had memorable games where we chased 180 against Kenya. And then we played some amazing cricket uh, all throughout the tournament and came down to Hong Kong where we had to beat them. We beat them. And when we made it to the World Cup, I think the whole country erupted. And then when we went Bangladesh, I think that's when the whole uh, dynamism of Nepal cricket changed. I came back from the hotel after the first game. We beat Hong Kong. We made 140 odd, 41 runs. I think Hong Kong all out for 59. Came back uh, to the hotel, opened up my uh, social media, and it was just incredible to see the messages, the photos that from different parts of the country. Everybody was glued onto the TV. And I had messages from Finland, from Australia, from Nepal saying when the national anthem was being played, uh, they had tears in their eyes, they had goosebumps, and everybody was very, very proud. And then at that moment, I thought that now it's getting serious. Why? Because uh, now the whole country is looking up to us. And I remember telling this to Pubudu because Nepal versus Afghanistan, they kept beating us at pivotal moment. It was a semi-final or a final that they would just turn up and beat us. And I kept telling him between the, between the two of us that we will beat them. And when we beat them, the world will see. And over the years, we came so close. There were times when we lost by five odd runs in Singapore, when we had around 11 runs to win against Afghanistan. And they got the last five wickets for six odd runs and they won by five runs. And even then, I, I kept telling people that when and if we beat Afghanistan, the world will know. And it came down to that one game in the World Cup when the whole world was watching and we beat Afghanistan. And... Even against Bangladesh, we played decent cricket, uh, but just the second thing, the due factor was so, so much that we couldn't do much. Overall, Bangladesh 2014 World Cup was the biggest changing time uh, for Nepal cricket. And the kind of cricket that we played actually during that tournament also made people believe in us because we probably played our best cricket at that tournament, whether it was against our an associate country or a test playing country like Bangladesh, where we at least competed against them, or uh, we when we beat Afghanistan, who was supposedly one of the stronger teams uh, at that point of time. So it was just incredible. That whole journey is uh, something where I can't explain it in words. Today's episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket, is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. Located at 5515 McKeever Road in Pearland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288 and a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. Another tournament that I think a lot of people have a hard time explaining into words. Fast forward to 2018. World Cricket Cricket League Division 2 in Namibia. At the time, you were speechless. Of all the players who were running around and celebrating after the final moment against Canada, there were so many emotions going through. I remember you, though. You had your hands over your mouth. You couldn't say anything. You were speechless by the end of the tournament. There's been a lot of things that happened in Nepal cricket. And I think a lot of people have seen a lot of wild finishes, a lot of wild events. But that whole eight days just took it to another level. And things, if, if you thought you had seen it all before, well, that changed everything that week in terms of the scope of possibilities and finishes that happened in in Namibia beginning with the first match you start off with that epic one wicket win with Basant and Sandy bit the crease against Namibia on the first day you lose to Oman on day two then you come back with victories over the UAE and Kenya Kenya again very dramatic circumstances going down to the final over and then obviously the biggest of them all the match against Canada on the final day so Take us through that week from beginning to end, starting with the Namibia match. What do you remember about how that first victory unfolded? And did you get the sense from there or the Kenya match or anything else leading up to the, the Canada match that made you think this is meant to be? <laughs> well, I, if, I, if I think of that whole week or 
getting into that tournament, I basically knew that if we could not make it, that would have been my last tournament as a cricketer or as a captain. I was so clear of the fact that because we had pushed so hard in terms of where we wanted to reach and because we had this dream of getting ODI status and we had already lost track a couple of times before that. So it was this one last one last dance, if I can call it, one last chance for us as cricketers. So went into the tournament on a personal level as well, thinking that if we don't make it, uh, that would be it, at least for me. And, uh, and I remember going to the first game, we had around 20, 30 odd runs. We had a couple of wickets left and I thought sitting there, this match is done now. We're playing Namibia at home and somehow it rained for a while and the game got a bit disrupted and again came back and Basant and Sandeep somehow got us over the line, one by one wicket, game one done. And there's a photo of me running towards uh, the cricket ground and this is 2018 and it had been almost, what, 15, 16 years that I've been part of so many cricket teams and so many cricket victories where I'm not somebody who'd run on a cricket field, never, ever, even when we had won finals and even when we had qualified for a World Cup or played the World Cup or won, I'm somebody who would, would always, you know, put my emotions under control. But that very tournament from the very first game, you had me running onto the pitch saying, we've done it, you know, so and ran to the ground. We won that first game, second game. We went to play Oman and Oman over the years, they've been a big thorn in our cricketing journey why because since 2013 we haven't been able to beat them at 50 over level cricket and we don't play them as much but they've been very dominant against us even at asian levels and oman beat us so that means one game one loss then we went into you the next game against ue it was on a very tricky wicket uh, where uh, the game got delayed because overnight there had been rain and the wicket was uh, there had been water had leaked in, so it meant the game started late. When we went in the game, we were, we were not sure if the game would start. Then when the game eventually happened, it was a shortened game. They got 130-odd runs. And at that time, we had to somehow push ourselves and we went past them, got the score and came down to Kenya again. Again, same thing. We had heroes in every game. Uh, then we had this partnership between Rohit Powdell and Arif Sheikh where uh, they kept taking singles without hitting boundaries from 80 odd for 5-6 to, you know, just building the partnership. And when Sompal hit the winning runs again on the last over, on uh, we once again ran onto the field and then came down to the ultimatum where against Canada. On that particular day, uh, we knew that whoever won would make, would make it through. And uh, Canada, I don't know if they won the toss, we won the toss. They We put them in and this guy who scored 100 and he hadn't even played the first two games but he was he played the last couple of games in me and he was i'm sure he was very determined to prove a point and he scored 100 and we had to chase 190 or something runs was it pete 195 195 was the target mm -hmm. shramantha wajay ratney <laughs> scored the century One. for canada 103 not out and he negotiated yeah. Sandy blamichani very well and sandy was actually not fully fit he had to come off the field he hurt his knee at one point in the game so his effectiveness was a little bit limited. There were some obstacles on the Nepal side from that standpoint. And it was fairly difficult batting conditions, getting into the tail end of the tournament, used pitches. The, the other thing that about that day, people who weren't there wouldn't appreciate, it was ridiculously hot. It was hot that day. And so for him to score a century, he was sweating bullets by the end of it. Uh, very grueling innings. And then to come out and be where you were in the chase, and especially your own role in the chase, was very limited out first ball <laughs> yeah I, I remember i i remember because if, if, if somebody asked me what would be the most important game of your career i'd probably put this as my number one game of my cricket career because after this was when you know we it was it was inevitable because after we got victory on that day before the qualifiers i i basically knew that we'd make it irrespective of whatever it is because if it if we had to win three matches out of five on the last over on the last ball uh, and we came out on the other side of the game and came out victorious men that uh, you know we would make it so that day uh, you know i went and got out first ball then we gets 
kept falling here, there. It was around 50 odd runs to win, 50, 40 odd runs to win. Last week it was there. I was sitting in the dugout and just thinking to myself that I'm going to now go back and probably announce my resignation as the cricket captain of Nepal. And then there was no motivation. I, I, I basically said to myself before tournament, I told my wife that if, if we don't make it this time around, I, it, it would mean that I would not play cricket for Nepal anymore. Why? Because that would mean my last attempt at trying to become or play ODI cricket or help Nepal get ODI status. So when we won that game and when even when you look at the videos of how we won and I remember after the last, after the ninth wicket had fallen off, you had these three reserves from Canada. We were at the boundary line with the Canadian flag ready to enter the cricket ground. I was there in the dressing room with so many others. I'm sure everybody had their own thought processes going around their own minds and then current started hitting and it started, then there's a four here, there's a four there, there's a six here, there's a signal, there's an edge that goes through the slips and there, there's there's a overthrow. So all this thing came down to and when it came down to uh, <laughs> the last moment when there was a wide and at that point, because we were looking at the scoreboard at one side and there was another scoreboard at the other end. So because one side of the scoreboard read inaccurate, when we read, we thought that the wide was the winning score and we ran. We ran and then all of a sudden we said, no, the game's not over yet. Then we had to come back and everybody was sitting in their own position. And we came back inside in the same position that we were in. And when Karan uh, flicked the ball uh, towards uh, square leg and when we won that game, I think everybody went into the ground. I, I had We had some of our cricketers who were crying and I saw the Canadian players who were like, they, they felt as if the world had fallen. Personally, when I looked and thought of that whole moment, is like, you could not script it. Why? Because these were moments where you, you, you cannot write or you cannot plan or prepare for all these moments. It, it, I was lucky and privileged enough to have witnessed something like that on a cricket field and was able to digest it as well as uh, be on the winning side of it and I remember when everything had settled down, uh, we had went to the dressing room. I went into the Canadian dressing room and everybody was inside. Some of them had tears in their eyes and I basically had to tell sorry to them. I went in the dressing room and said, sorry, boys, it wasn't meant to be. Sorry, why? Because uh, associate cricket's cruel. Uh, I, I knew what the stakes were at, at that point of time. If Canada lost meant their pathway or their gateway to ODI status was lost. Losing ODI status for them would mean that they would not get the fundings or the careers of the players and the coaches and the cricket system would no longer be any more relevant. So I went in the dressing room, I, I just said sorry and went into our dressing room. Then we shared a bit of emotion side of things where we believe that it was meant to be. And this meant-to-be story started long time back when we started the whole World Cricket League journey from Division 10 in Nepal with the throwing of the stones to the Bermuda miracle, you know, to qualifying for the World Cup and uh, winning against all the odds and then coming into a tournament in Namibia where everything was done and dusted, but somehow... Uh, Karan Kesi came up the ranks and played probably the most important innings that anyone can ever play for Nepal. Uh, I don't know if Nepal gets a test status in the future. Uh, I think that innings or that uh, moment would something that would probably or might match the moment that happened on that particular day. And although it was Division 2 that we had qualified from that day, at least if not for everyone around me, I believe that now we are entering the World Cup through ODI status. That's what my dream was. And I felt that ODI status is now inevitable. We will go through and we will make sure that ODI status will be... Again, I went into Zimbabwe, played great cricket, and there we are. That victory in Namibia and then in Zimbabwe opened the door for a couple more signature moments to end your career. That first ODI victory in the Netherlands. 
you getting the final run out in the final over to clinch a one-run victory and the fans that were there that day to help take in that moment with you. What do you remember about that experience? It was nine runs to win. Uh, I think Van Meeker and Klassen, if it was the batters who were there, uh, they somehow batted here, there, and it came down to the last over. Lalit Singh Bhandari had one over left. He had taken a couple of wickets, and I had one or two overs left. So then, uh, because I had gone through that process of bowling last overs at previous editions at under-19 seniors, I said, as a captain, I, I felt that I should take the responsibility that even if uh, whatever happens, I should be able to process it and take responsibility towards it. But uh, having said that, it was one wicket to get. And it came down to that last ball where on my bowling run-up, I was there. Everybody was in because we knew that we had to defend that one run if we had to win the game. And with the ball in my hand, I thought that, OK, now I'm going to go try and ball a Yorker. So this is my mindset at the run-up saying, I'm, I'll have to go ball a Yorker. But as I'm running and as I'm about to deliver, this just this instinctively, this thing comes in my mind that the batsman must be expecting a Yorker. So what if, uh, because the field is in, I'm sure he would, he might want to clear the field. Uh, just a couple of steps before the delivery, I thought to myself that, okay, no, I started off wanting to ball a Yorker, but two yards in, I thought I'll ball a slow one. Why? Because it just something came to mind. Balled a slower one. He hit it straight towards me, went on to hit the stumps. Next thing I see, the ball's coming towards me. I pick up the ball, pick up the stump because the bales had fallen uh, and pick up the stump and just run and knew that we had won the match then. So a pretty special one because that was our first ODI victory and it's it's and against Netherlands which is, which is one of the uh, stronger cricketing teams going around our cricketing uh, environment so it, it felt special and it, it was an away game so that it made it even more special beating Netherlands in Netherlands and uh, because we had won so many close matches <laughs> it was again meant that it had to come down to the last ball and that uh, moment where things happened for all of us. You also scored a, a half century in the first innings, which is almost a, a footnote compared to the way the match ended. It, it was a, a spectacular all-around performance by you. In terms of your career achievements and having favorite personal performances, is there any one performance you can think of in a winning moment and winning match that you would pick out as your favorite performance that you would put as number one in your Nepal career? More than numbers, I'll probably say that 41 runs against Hong Kong when the World Cup qualifier was at stake, Nepal versus Hong Kong, where winner would make it to the World Cup. I remember uh, one day before the match, we had three, four days gap, and I, I was looking at the mirror for the very first time and talking to myself, saying, tomorrow you have to score runs. Tomorrow you have to, you know, do it. Why? Because tomorrow your dreams are going to come true. Tomorrow is where all the dreams of everybody who has been part of Nepal cricket is going to come true. So that 41 runs would probably be the most important runs that I have uh, scored for Nepal. Coming to the end of your career, you finish it against USA, essentially ODI cricket. You, you did play a T20 World Cup qualifier uh, against Asian regional competition. Your last official match was against Thailand, but in ODI cricket, your last match against USA, the 35 all out match that I don't think anybody's going to forget anytime soon. To have your career wrap up the way it did in a victory and to be out there when the final runs were scored batting-wise, did you have any inkling at the time that that was going to be your final moment on home soil in a Nepal uniform? No idea. I had no idea that would be my last game, boy, because uh, I still f felt that I had a lot of cricket coming in me or left in me. But I mean, there's things that were, you know, I've always been very instinctive of how I function. I've always followed my instincts and that was it. I think for me, my first ever under 15 match when I started where what I got man of the match and I was not out on 19 odd runs and three wickets. And my last ODI game also is like where I got, I, I was not out. And although played the last official T20 game against Thailand, uh, but because these are things that you don't think of or plan uh, for me, I knew uh, because I followed my instincts so much, 
uh, it, it meant that uh, as long as I was in a cricket field, I felt that if I could contribute, I would be there. But having gone through all of that and lost one and a half, two years because of the pandemic, it came down to the fact that I realized that this was it for me. And now I've taken this step that uh, I'm no longer to be available to play for Nepal. With that, I've retired from international cricket. I hope to play domestic cricket, uh, but as of now, I'm taking a, a break just to understand and just let things settle around. But never thought that it would come down to that game would probably be my last ODI. When you think back to your entire career, especially the matches against USA in particular and the rivalry with USA, who would you say in terms of a USA player and also aside from USA, associate cricket in general, who was the toughest USA batter you came up against? Who was the toughest USA bowler you had to face? And then broadly in associate cricket, who were the two players in that regard, the toughest player in associate cricket as a batter and the toughest players in associate cricket as a bowler who made you lose sleep and you had nightmares about taking on going onto the field the next day? I think more than having nightmares, I was somebody who was very realistic about my own approach to things. It was just about being competitive and putting in 100%. So that way, for us, it was Sushil Natkarni, honestly. For, with him, we knew that if we got him, we'd be able to, you know, get hold of US. But most of the times, it came out that he would, he would still end up getting runs. We had the best prepared plans, but Sushil would just come and still, you know, score those runs. He would probably be the best US uh, batter that I came across as a cricketer. Balling-wise, they've been a lot of uh, good ballers that, you know, uh, I, I don't have anyone in particular from US in mind uh, right now that I can think of who would really, you know, put us through the struggling struggle. But I think 2010, uh, 2008, 10, even 2012, Souza, right? Souza. I, I, keep, I keep forgetting his name. Us- Usman Shuja. Usman Shuja. He's somebody who would swing the ball and who'd take a lot of wickets against us and take wickets around him. So it'd probably be those two uh, cricketers would probably be um, between, if I had to pick a couple of names, would be the batter and the baller. Associate cricket, I think, before Afghanistan became a test-playing country, Mohammad Nabi was, was was a big thorn in our in our stable because you'd always end up getting runs, always. We knew that we had to get him out, but he somehow get the runs and get the wickets. So he was our biggest rival as a, uh, what I'd say, and maybe I can even put it down to maybe Kuram Khan, former UAE captain. I think initially he was somebody who, who scored a lot of runs at associate level. And these are two cricketers that were very, very sharp uh, on a cricket field. They knew their uh, cricketing credential, the bat, uh, with the ball on the field. You could see that they made a lot of presence and these are two cricketers that I grew up where we found very hard to negotiate. When you think back to your career, now that it's finished, your international career, whether it's other players in other teams around the world who come up against you or fans who have watched you, whether it's Nepal fans or fans on the opposite side of the field, what do you want people to remember most about your career and the way you played the game? Yeah, I just want people to remember me as somebody who was there for for my cricketers, more than a cricketer, I hope I, I hope they remember me as somebody who was there for them when they needed me the most, even besides cricket. And for the cricket fans, uh, I think I would like to be remembered as uh, somebody who put in that 100%. And I always believed that cricket was just a part of it. Uh, I had to make sure that my personal qualities had to appeal to a lot of people around me because see cricketing stats are something where you could have the best stats. Somebody will have better stats one day or the other, but I've always wanted people to like me for the person that I am. So that way I I hope uh, the cricket fans, the cricket media or international cricketers that I have played with against would, you know, remember me as somebody who was, was gentle from the outside, but who, who all of, them surely knew that I played cricket with a lot of passion and uh, that's how I would like to be remembered as somebody who gave it an absolute best every time he was out there on a cricket field. Favorite 11 time before we get to the favorite 11 though I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes cricket podcast presented by Dream Cricket and at the Dream Cricket Pavilion Shop 
It can help you fill all of your cricket kit requirements from top of the line English willow bats made by all the top manufacturers, as well as helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, highlight DVDs, books, and more. Get 10% off all orders over $400 using coupon code DCUSA. That's DCUSA. Go to shop.dreamcricket.com to take advantage of that offer today. Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. Favorite 11 time with Paras Kadka. You ready to rock and roll? Yeah. This is tailor-made for you as a Nepal player. Your favorite type of Momo? Would be steamed Momos. Steamed Momos. Steamed and what filling? Chicken. Chicken. chicken steamed chicken Momos. Okay. Yeah. And how many would you typically have in a, in a standard sitting? I, I could maybe smash around 20, 25, but then normally it would be around between 13 to 15 is, would be my normal setting. Just a cool dozen minimum. I like it. Yeah. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour? I had no option because Basant Regmi was my room, room partner for so many years. Uh, on, because we had 14 players, only when uh, there's a squad of 15 where you had twin room sailing systems. So the captain would probably get a single room then. But as long as there were 14 member squads, uh, it would mean that Basant would be my room partner and he was my cricket uh, room partner for a very long time. Your favorite city or country that you've toured? London. I, I absolutely love London. Your favorite cricket ground experience that you've had as a player, and that includes the quality of the pitches, the quality of the training facilities, the quality of the meals, the teas, the lunches, the dinners, the scenery, everything that goes into a cricket ground experience. What is your favorite place to have played cricket, any ground, anywhere in the world? It's, it's, it has to be home of cricket, Lords. The whole environment, the whole idea, I mean, because you put in so many clauses with the facilities, the grounds, the indoor, outdoor, whatever, the amenities to it. Uh, playing at Kirtipur Cricket Ground is probably the best feeling. Why? Because there's no other feeling that you get when you represented Nepal at the Trivon University ground with the jam-packed stadium. But with everything with what our cricketing environment should be, just, just sitting in the Lord's balcony and enjoying that whole environment has to be number one. Your favorite cricketer of all time? I don't have uh, a favorite cricketer. Why? Because there have been so many cricketers. My favorite sports person is Steven Gerrard. That's it. Well, well that was going to be my next question. You filled up the answer to my next question. Your favorite non-cricket athlete, Steven Gerrard. Uh, yeah, Steven Gerrard. Why, why Steven Gerrard? I like because for the very fact that he's somebody who stayed with one club. He could have gone anywhere in the world. You see, he stuck to his you know, metal. He was somebody who was very hardworking. Somebody who was very honest uh, from, from what we saw from outside and who had this passion for his team. And that made me resonate with myself with the fact that I had to learn uh, those kind of uh, skills where I had to manage myself. If I could become somebody like him growing up, watching him on TV and just the things that people spoke about him, those are the qualities that I try to, you know, uh, implicate upon myself. And he's probably my number one uh, sporting athlete icon. Your favorite place to eat out on a cricket tour? And that could be a specific spot in another city, or a particular city, or it could be a chain restaurant when you're on the road. You like to go to a specific chain when you're going from country to country that you can count on. Your favorite place outside of Nepal that you eat out on the road? As long as you get, because we get Nepalese food anywhere and everywhere, right? So... The first thing you do is pop who was a Nepali here, talk to that person, get the food delivered, done. That's it. Are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? I'm more of a Coke. I'm more of a Coke guy. I, I, I actually don't drink soda as much, but the thing is, uh, if I had to choose between Coke and Pepsi, I'd definitely choose Coca-Cola. You made the right choice. You picked the real thing. You can't beat the real thing, Paris. <laughs> your, <laughs> <laughs> your favorite pizza topping. Has to be, uh, I think, cheese and mushroom and a bit of bacon on top would be nice. Your favorite movie of all time? There's a lot of movies. I can't name one because there's so many great movies over the years. I, this this would be hard because there's there, there, there are too many movies that I like. 
Well, let me put it differently. What's the movie that when it comes across the screen on TV, if, if you're in the middle of it, you you keep it on until the end. Once you see it on, you just keep watching. You won't you won't turn it off, even if it's midway through or close to the end. And you probably watch the, the Namibia Division Two, the current Casey episode would probably be the best movie. You you keep watching that forever. Very creative answer. I'll take it. Finally, your favorite show to binge watch. Now that you're retired, you got a bit more time on your hands. So your favorite show to binge watch, whether it's during the pandemic or on tours. You got some time on your hands on Netflix, Amazon Prime, or just a DVD box set. What do you use to pass the time that's your favorite show to binge watch? Because last couple of years, uh, because of the pandemic, we had so much time, right? So Netflix and all this, I got to watch a lot of series. The series that I'm watching right now, and I'm absolutely binge to it, is House of Cards. Um, I've been I've been following it on Netflix. It's It's intriguing just to see the whole political American drama as to how the White House functions and things around it. I've, I've been binging on it. Like every time that I'm free, I've just put it on. Even before talking to you, I was watching one of the episodes. So that that's the show that I'm on right now. There are a couple of uh, series like Ozark is one of the, one of those series that I really got intrigued just watching. It's a silent, dark side to, you know, the methodical way of how things function. So these are, these are, these are two news that I have. House of Cards is in my current watch list. Ozark, I'm a big fan of Ozark. I love Ozark. Can't wait until the next season of Ozark comes out for hope, sure. Hope, hope the next season comes out. Paris Godka's favorite 11. Paris, thank you so much for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'll give you the final word. Anything else you haven't said that you want people to know about you, whether cricket or non-cricket? No, I mean, thanks, Pete. I think you've been wonderful over the years for supporting Associate cricket, Nepali cricket, because I think you've, you've, you've really helped Nepal cricket grow into the international community. Why? Because uh, you know what it takes uh, for anyone to represent their country at associate level. And the struggles, of, the struggles that we go through or what we have gone through, there's no comparison to that. And thank you for all the support over the years. And I hope you keep uh, supporting this. For myself, I think... It's been amazing uh, having represented my country over the years. So many ups and downs, so many memories that I'll be taking forward. But uh, like I said, I've only retired uh, from international cricket. Uh, my relationship with Nepal cricket doesn't end there. I hope to justify myself into various roles in coming days. I want to help Nepal cricket prosper from the grassroots level and hope to see Nepal become a test-playing country in coming years and Hope that you and I will be there at the cricket grounds that day watching Nepal play his first ever test match. And uh, it will be a moment that all of us will be cherishing. And again, keep uh, up the good work. You're doing very well. And there's an exciting series coming up next week. It's USA, Oman and Nepal. Uh, we somehow managed to squeeze in yesterday, like always. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, a criticism around social media saying Nepal's done this, Nepal's done that. But I think as long as you win, I'll take a win any given day, whether it's from 100 runs or from, or it's with one run. Uh, the fans maybe would want it a bit easier, but you know, nothing comes easy with Nepal cricket. So uh, hopefully next week we get to see a lot of great performances from our boys and get to enjoy a great cricket over the next couple of weeks. Paris Kodka, thank you so much again. Always a pleasure. And Absolutely. We hope to see you at Cricket Grounds well into the future in whether it's coaching and an administrative role and in some other capacity. You're such an asset to cricket and we hope to see you contribute in so many other ways above and beyond what you've already done as a player. Thanks, Pete. Been a pleasure. Cheers. I turned a year older this past week, and I can think of few better birthday gifts than to spend a few hours getting to reminisce about all things cricket with Paris Kodko. So thank you, Paris, for taking the time to speak with me and share all those wonderful stories with the rest of the cricketing world, especially the Nepal diehards from Kathmandu to Musket, where Nepal is currently playing in the Cricket World Cup League 2 Tri-Series and well beyond all around the world. Wherever you go, there's always a Nepal cricket fan lurking in the shadows, waiting to come out and support their team. 
want to remind everybody to support the podcast by subscribing on Patreon. Starting at $3 a month, you can help keep the podcast running from week to week, and I appreciate everybody who has signed up. I also want to remind everybody that you can get notifications for when the latest episodes of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast drop each week by subscribing on YouTube for the video format of the podcast or the audio version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and many other podcasting platforms. Until the next episode, that's it from me. I'm Peter Delapena reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American cricket. Thank you.